Welcome to episode 109 of No Challenges Remaining, post-French Open edition. It's all over, especially for Novak Djokovic. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Courtney Nguyen. You made a face with that. Oh. Are, you feeling, are you feeling pain for Novak? I just, it just, oh, it gut-wrenching. I'm yeah. super happy for Stan. Incredible what he was able to do to win his first French Open title. Again, coming up with the goods at a French Open final. But man, I'm sorry, but like... You have to be a genuine just Djokovic hater to not feel some level of sympathy for the guy because he did everything right except when it came to beating Stan Wawrinka. Except when it came to winning the final. Yeah, you know, so which we'll get into a little bit more in that discussion. But uh, but yeah, it feels like Ben and I were just coming from dinner with a few of our colleagues, Tom Parada, Doug Robson, Nick McCarville. Such a name dropper. I'm such a name dropper. You know, the big names, the big, <laughs> the big boys, we like to call them. But we were all kind of just saying as we were getting up from dinner, man, it feels like this went by in a flash, but I also have the exhaustion of a two-week major. So it's just hard to kind of get my head around everything at the moment. But right now, we're recording on Sunday night, past midnight. Once again, we will be using our bedroom voices to the extent that we can uh, in order not to awaken our host and uh, and roommates. But, uh, but yeah. Holy cow, the French Open. That was nuts. It was nuts. Let's focus on Novak Djokovic because we started with him here. And the story of the tournament of the last weekend of it, I think, is not winning. I think I mean, the stakes were much higher for him here than anybody else. Yes. And he was the one who had a really, really, I think, plausible chance at this calendar slam, which, okay, in a dream world, we would all go back to calling them majors and the four of them is a grand slam, calling each title a grand slam is awkward because well, calendar slam is such a weird term. It, it is incorrect. And I should say that if we were to do a rant rave at this moment, I would say that one of my rants is when people call it a grand slam, winning one tournament. Yeah. It really bothers me. I go out of my way. I've like trained my editors at this point. Like, no, this is a slam. We can call it a major. We can't call it a grand slam. I don't like doing it. That sort of thing. Because a grand slam is winning all four. It's from the base. It's, it's, I think I don't know which came first, but the baseball term is when you score four runs. Right. On it, so it's a four thing. It's a big, big thing. So that's a semantics thing. Mini, mini rant early, which is sorry. We're, we're headed. No, it's good. We're overflowing with rants. It's the end of the tournament. We should be fully ranting. Um, yeah, Novak Djokovic had a great chance to win all four this year. Had pretty much not lost anything in quite a while since uh, Dubai. 25-match win streak, I believe. 25-match win streak, just winning everything, doing everything right, getting himself in the right position, beat Rafael Nadal at the French Open, which is all you should mean to do, beat that other guy, Andy Murray, who was also undefeated on clay, uh, in a five-setter, which took uh, lasted into the next day because of some adverse weather. And, as you mentioned at the time, when Stan Ranka lost that set to Joe Wilfersonga, that was a pivotal set loss by... Stan to run out the clock a little bit on Novak in that second semifinal. So credit to you, Stan. You're clearly just such because a obviously that was so intentional. Obviously, uh, yeah. So this is about Novak Djokovic not completing the career slam here, which seemed like a given on some level. And Courtney, you and I both think I think that Novak Djokovic is going to win multiple French Opens. Yes, he's good enough to. He should have probably already on some level. And he still is at zero. Yeah, and I and I have to say that I was actually quite surprised today. Because it, I just feel it in my gut that he will, 
that this is a major, he will win. He will win it before his career is over. But I was actually quite surprised in some of the conversations I had in the press room uh, today after the match that so many people actually don't believe that, that many people are looking at, well, he's what, 27, 28? 28. 28, so two years away from 30. Uh, Rafa could totally turn everything around and still be the king of clay next year when he comes again. Don't see that happening. I don't see that necessarily happening, not with the iron fist that he once kind of ruled this tournament with. I just, I have no doubt that he's going to win it. I, I would be more surprised. I would be, I mean, just incredibly surprised if when all is said and done and the dust settles on the ATP Big Four, that Andy Murray won Wimbledon and Novak Djokovic didn't win the French Open. And that's not because of skill on the on the surfaces, but because to manage the pressure and for Andy Murray to win Wimbledon and for Novak Djokovic to not necessarily, and he's coming up against tougher competition, obviously, at the French. I mean, yeah. before this year, he lost twice you know, to Rafa, so, you know, well, six times overall, but in the big, in the big matches, so, fair enough, but, uh, but yeah, it just, it just would rock me to my core if Novak doesn't finish with a French Open. Novak has won the slams plenty of times, so he can do best of five, he's won, I was just trying to think in my head, I might be a little bit off, I think he's won seven clay masters, I mean, the guy can play on the surface well, he's a great, great player, would be easily, I think, the best player of definitely this era, never to career slam. Especially when you talk about yeah. having the ability, like Sampras never won the French, but was never a great clay quarter. It was always going to be uphill here and wasn't really his focus. Novak is going all in on the French and not coming out with it again. Um, and this one is, is tough because I really did think, I was especially when Serena got it done, I was excited for both of them to go halfway and for just to have a, a, a pretty good shot at getting one person three quarters of the way there after Wimbledon. Uh, I thought Novak was the more reliable pick of the two of them to get at least get the last three legs because of how little he's been winning, how he doesn't lose in the early rounds, all these things. He seemed like a better bet than Serena, I thought, to get the calendar slam, and he's out of the running now. And I think, like I've said before, I think tennis really, really could use somebody getting the first three at least legs this to get the huge, huge hype going. Yeah, no, there were quite a few deflated tennis writers today that I talked to who were all kind of saying the same thing. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, and we will get to the ridiculousness of Stan, the Stanimal, the Beast, Vavrinka, and what he was able to do today. But just keeping this this discussion on Novak, there are a lot of people who are, who are quite deflated about the idea that we weren't going to be able to talk about, you know, dual calendar slam uh, uh, candidates going into Wimbledon. Writers root for stories. It's a great, great story. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's just rough. And, and for everything to be so set up, and to be fair, this was a really, really difficult draw for Novak Djokovic. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, let's go back to, you know, our pre, uh, pre-tournament podcast. I think that, um, I don't know if I said it, but I definitely wrote it at one point that this was just the absolute worst thing that could happen to Novak Djokovic to draw Rafael Nadal in the quarterfinals to potentially play Andy Murray in the semifinals. And then, as luck would have it, which I don't think any of us saw coming, really, given that Stamavrinka did nothing. I mean, yes, he beat Rafael Nadal in straight sets. That was a match, especially that first set that Rafa should have taken. But then he went and flopped against Roger the next day. Um, he lost to Federico Del Bonice, number <laughs> 74, in his last match before Paris. In, since winning Rotterdam, he's won back-to-back matches just once before he got to Paris, which was in Rome. Yeah. I mean, there was no indication that Stan was going to do what he did. But that being said... The most dangerous player that could have come out of that bottom half 
if they were playing well, was Stan Wawrinka. I think so. Or peak Nisha Corey would have been. Peak Nisha Corey, maybe. But but in terms of just being able to have already done it, right? Won the major, yeah. played the final, do the whole dance. Uh, it was going to be Stan, especially against Novak. Um and boy, did he deliver. Stan was so, so good. That's what we, I was trying to come up with an analogy related to food because that's just how I roll. Um, not going to be a crepe, you guys, because that was super, <laughs> super divisive. Um, yeah, it was like you ordered, you know, a lobster and instead you got brought this, like, amazing steak. And it's like, wow, this is a really, really, really good steak. I've been planning on the lobster. I don't really like lobster, but just using gourmet, you know, fancy foods as a because I'm very fancy. Um, planning on this one thing, and you got this other thing that was done perfectly, amazingly well. This was a transcendent steak of a performance from Stan Wawrinka. He was so unbelievably good. Like this his, was Kobe beef, you guys. This was Kobe. Kobe, super, super beer-fed Swiss cow relaxed, you know, ready to go. And it was, I mean, you can, I mean, if you want to go back, you can look at the numbers of this match. You can watch the match. You can do a bunch of different things. But Stan Wawrinka doubled up on Novak Djokovic and winners. Novak Djokovic hit 30 winners in four sets. Stan Wawrinka hit 60. Now you would think, okay, well, he's had to have hit like 50-something unforced errors, right? Nope. He only hit four more unforced errors than Novak. Novak hit 41 for the match. Stan hit 45. 45-60. That's an incredible differential for a Grand Slam final on clay against really the best defender, the yeah. best counterpuncher in the game right now. Unbelievable performance. And, and that, that was the problem from from Djokovic. He got off to a solid enough start, good enough, wasn't spectacular. 6-4 first set. And then when Stan started making it just an absolute batting practice out there, just firing everywhere, Novak wasn't able to step to the line and sort of start trading blows, which Novak has shown ability to do. I mean, he can... What makes one of the things that makes Novak so good is he can play any sort of style and win. He can be a ball basher. He can be a pure retriever. He can be a counter puncher somewhere in between. He can come to net and do that well. And he just wasn't finding the answers to disrupt Stan once he got going. And he had chances. Oh, he obviously he was up three zero in the fourth set. And we were going five. Triple and break point. Triple break point. Four all. Yeah, he definitely had his looks, and it just didn't happen for him. So. And the question is going to be. For Novak, as he, you know, thinks about this match and tries to process what happened today, why? Why couldn't he adapt? Why couldn't he find solutions? Why was it that in those tight moments he was playing passive ball? You know, he wasn't stepping up and taking the big swing because Novak can. We've seen these two play on hard courts. He can absolutely hit the bejesus out of that ball. But he... I just some questionable decision making down the stretch. That serve and volley on second serve was absolutely disastrous. Just a total brain freeze yeah. moment there. They both had a few bad serve and volleys in this match. Stop serving and volleying, you guys, especially on clay. Just doesn't don't do it. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, but at the same time, so there is going to be questions. I think for Novak. I mean, he dismissed any um, suggestion that he came in mildly more fatigued because he had to play two straight days. He said he didn't want to make excuses, which is more different than dismissing. That's fair enough. He didn't want to make excuses, although he did say that he didn't feel as explosive in his legs as the match wore on. But again, is that because of fatigue? Is that because of nerves? Is that because of pressure? Um, Because the whole book on Novak Djokovic has always been, up until last year when he won Wimbledon, beating Roger Federer in those five sets, was his ability to handle pressure, to stay mentally engaged and intense and knock it down on himself, I guess, um, in these big matches in the pressure moments. And we had seen time and time again, 
um, outside of the Australian Open, he was flopping. Exactly. And you have a good stat on that, I think. If I can paraphrase, I think you said that. If you set aside the Australian Open, where obviously he's dominant, five-time champion, but if you set aside that slam, uh, Novak Djokovic has won one of his last ten non-Australian Open majors. That's not a big number for somebody who we see as icy right now as being so dominant. Right. The last one was that uh, the U.S. Open 2011. 11, yeah. The, the, yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah, that was a good time ago. And then obviously Wimbledon, which is the one that he won in, the, yeah. in that span. But, you know, I really, I really, really bought into the idea that Novak had turned it around with that Wimbledon win, that that was his breakthrough, that finally he kind of, you know, shook that monkey, um, you know, but then he went on, he lost to Kane Shikori in five at the U.S. Open. That was shocking. Bounced back, obviously, incredibly well, has won basically up until today every major title uh, that he's competed for. Yeah. Um, not major title, quote unquote. This was but his first. Title. This was his first important. If you count Masters and Slams and World Tour finals, this is his first loss at one of these tournaments since Shanghai. Shanghai. Good lord, that was a long time ago. That's yeah, no, time. it's it's incredible what he's done, and I think. But I do think that it's fair to say this was not like a classic choke performance no. on level by Djokovic. This was about Stan Wawrinka just coming up there and absolutely seizing the moment, playing the best I've ever seen him play. In this occasion, he moved so well, struck the ball so incredibly well, and now he has two slams. Stan the Man is now tied in Grand Slams with Andy Murray at two, which is pretty shocking when you consider the resumes they have compared to each other and how much more Andy's done and how he's been part of the conversation in a real way that Stan hasn't. But Stan is now 2-0 and in major finals, which is great. In both major, in both majors, he beat the number one and number two seeds. Yeah, uh, he was the number eight seed, beating the number one in the final. Only two times in the open era that's ever happened. Stan gets to lay claim on that. Yep. I mean, and and we were as we were walking home today, we were kind of talking about it a little bit. It's not even a situation where you can say Stan Wawrinka lucked in in any not way, shape, or form into these majors. I he mean, broke I, down the door. He busted down the door. I mean, and he has the the arsenal to do it. And. I mean, tip of the cap to him. I mean, you know, the Murray-Vavrinka conversation, it's an easy one to have. It's one that we have been having a little bit in Paris. You know, and it's so weird that Sam Vavrinka now has the same number of majors as Andy Murray. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and if you want to you want to go kind of crazier with it, you could say Sam Vavrinka's 2-0 and in slam finals is more impressive than being 2-6. and six. I mean, he's a big stage performer who's somebody... When it's counted most, he's delivered in a big way every time he's had the chance. And the only, I think, the only other slam semi he made was that one in New York. No, Australia. Oh, and Australia, but both times there were five set losses to Djokovic. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's had ever shrunk on the big stages at all. He's a Davis Cup title to his name recently, which he kind of won single handedly in that final against France when Federer was having his back problems. He won obviously Olympic doubles gold in 2008, which was mostly Federer at that point. But he's shown he really, really, really can be a big, big stage player and have the sort of cojones, which we were hoping the rest of the ATP would have. He took all the cojones. He took all of them. He took all the cojones. So much stand the man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it reminds me sometimes, um, if for anybody who has seen Major League, one of the best baseball movies in the history of American cinema, but actually Major League Two. Okay. With uh, the Japanese player, I can't remember his name. Okay. Major League Two. That's not Major League One. Yeah, it's Major League Two. Um, and they have this one big hitter. I want to say his name is Carreño. I'm sorry, it's been a long time, but I remember this very vividly. One big hitter who all of a sudden becomes really zen, 
and he kind of loses his rage and therefore he can't hit home runs anymore because he's like staring off at butterflies and things. And this little Japanese import player like keeps like making this motion of like big balls every single time with a guy and just like trying to egg him on and egg him on. And the guy's like, no, I'm like super Zen now. And so finally in the penultimate, in the like ultimate scene, like he's like, and he gets all mad and goes Hulk. Anyways, all that is to say, Stan Wawrinka, he did. He took off. I mean, think about it this way. Thomas Burdick. Yeah. Oh. You want to talk about a guy who, like, has all the tools. I mean, maybe not the same level of tool at its, at, at, at its, at its peak, you know, but a complete player, a player who can and His should average have level one. has been much higher than Stan's average level. Exactly. Yeah. And yet, donde ses cojones? <laughs> <laughs> for for those of you who don't speak Courtney's <laughs> version of Spanish, she was asking, where are Thomas Burdett's balls? I didn't say him by name. I just said, where are the balls? Where are the balls? <laughs> that's totally fair. They're, they're, in, they're in some plaid shorts. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, Stan Vavrinka, once he gets there, and Stan, I mean, bless him, he says as much. You know, when you ask, you know, what one of the other discussion topics that we had quite a bit today after the final amongst writers and even with Stan as well, you know, in, in press is, what does this all mean? You know, and I think that that in some ways becomes a frustrating aspect of things because does a Stan Wawrinka French Open title, second major, now back in the top five, he's at number four on Monday, does, what does it mean going forward to kind of the ATP story? And it's very hard to know, and Stan admits it as much because he's not consistent. He didn't do a whole lot with it. He won Monte Carlo after he won the Australian. But other than that, he didn't really establish himself as a big four level, you know, right in and pen in the draw type guy, the way that Murray did, the way that the other big four guys all did. So we'll see. I mean, he's also not young either. He's not the future. Right. Um, but he is someone who's shown that he can, this is a reminder that it wasn't a one shining moment in Australia. At, right. least, at least one more time, Santa Ranker was able to summon this incredible incredible world-beating form, and it was something to behold. It was an, it was an absolutely incredible performance, a really a final performance for the ages. It's similar, I would say, a little bit to what Del Potro did against Federer in the U.S. Open Final in 2009, just in terms of having a tournament where you just kind of go on beast mode and you're playing that well, and Federer was obviously supposed to win that match, and Reverend could, uh, uh, Del Potro just stole it, just pummeled yeah, him. It I was mean, a pummeling. It was a pummeling, and I, and I think that what this run definitely cemented for me, in my mind, is kind of the any given Sunday yeah. type theory for Stan Wawrinka, which I think for me also applies to like a Petra Kvitova, yep. which is, I don't know if you're going to get there. I can't bet on you getting to Championship Sunday, but once you're in that match... You totally have a shot. You you ha- you can beat anybody that's on the other side of the table. You will have at that point um, played through any insecurity or nerves or anything like that. Your game is fine tuned, and you have the weapons. So at that point, any given Sunday, any championship match, you put that guy in. He's got a shot. We just didn't see him being there. Is the point, I guess. Stan and Petra now both two and zero. Yeah, in finals. So pretty cool for Stan. Hall of Famer, Stan Wawrinka. Oh, my gosh. That's so weird. He's going to be on the ballot now. He's going to be on the ballot. I mean, he was already going to be on the ballot with one. Especially with how few guys have been winning slams in this major, in this era. 
I mean, there just aren't that many guys to keep nominating. Did you okay. see the Did you see the thing, by the way, in Warthon's mailbag yeah, that Amelie's not going to her induction this year? Yeah, she's asked to defer it to next year. Which means I'll have nobody from the current player yeah. class. So um, should have voted for Kafelnikov. <laughs> nope. Uh, I don't vote for people just to make sure that they have a player. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, I mean, with Favrinka, didn't you vote for Kafelnikov? No. Oh, okay. No, I only voted for Marisma. Okay. Um, with Vavrinka, talk about a guy who has a Hall of Fame worthy resume mm-hmm. that you don't think of as a Hall of Fame guy. I don't in my head. I really don't. And that's not a knock on him in terms of his quality and all these sorts of things, but just that everything that's happened has happened in a 16 month span. And he also just hasn't, he's been isolated. And it's, it's quantity over quality over quantity for him for sure. I mean, he's, this was his 10th title, I believe, yeah. overall. I mean, that's half, less than half as many as Carolyn Wozniacki has won. Oh, why you got to drag Woz in this? Sorry, Woz. But I'm just saying, like, there are ways to measure. I think that this also shows that slams are not the be-all, end-all currency. I, don't, I, I totally don't think, agree I don't with think that. that Stan has had twice as good a career as Andy Roddick. I don't buy that right. at all. Well, no, and this, goes, yeah, and this goes into our that. conversation about the Murray Vavrinka thing. I yeah. mean, yes, we can look at the majors and we can say, Stan Vavrinka, you look at major records, pretty darn impressive when you just look at the end product. Both guys have two trophies. Combined, they have a career slam. But yeah, do. Um, A golden slam. A golden slam. Yeah. Oh, look at them. Oh, how adorable. But <laughs> I ship that. I, I don't. I ship their trophy cases. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, consistency matters. It's the same reason why. Djokovic with, what, eight majors? Yep. Uh, why he's in, right? Eight, right? Eight, yeah. Yep. Five plus three? Mm-hmm. Two Wimbies, one yep, U.S. Yep, okay. Why Djokovic is is on the cusp of being in the not goat like greatest of all time, but in that high upper echelon and one of the greatest players of all time. Not you know slam wise, he's way off of whatever Roger has and what uh, Rafa nine back has. On Roger nine back on Roger. But I mean, you can't ignore what he does at the Masters. You can't ignore what he does on the ATP Tour on a day in day out basis. He's that controlled guy the on, era. Yeah. Exactly. One of the things when we were talking about Hall of Fame, and I know it's a very American thing, I've mentioned something from a British reporter, I think has a ballot, and they're just like, I just don't care about <laughs> Hall of Fame. So sorry that it's a sort of sidebar thing. But like, I don't know that Stan Wawrinka has ever, one of my criteria for what makes a Hall of Famer, quote-unquote, is that at some point, you were the favorite to win a tournament, and you did it. Oh, yeah, well. Stan's never been the favorite to win a tournament, like I can think of. It wasn't like a 250. Yeah, was, there I was, was going to say Geneva Open. There was, he didn't win that. There, <laughs> was, there was never a time where Stan was like the guy. And Novak, no, and Novak is, I'm not counting 250s. Oh, sorry, no, no. sorry, 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 sorry. No, just yeah, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> because he successfully were top Chennai? He is, he is the Hall of Famer of Chennai. <laughs> In the Indian sports foreigners Hall of Fame. He's <laughs> way up there. Although they still love Federer so much more in India. They do. Uh, yeah, um... Yeah, he's hasn't been calling a guy, but he's gotten two slams. He's really t- seized the moment. And last thing I'll say on Vavrinka, unless you have any other thoughts, the, considering the way his tournament started, it's a pretty unexpected finish. We genuinely thought that the only relevancy Stan Vavrinka would have at the French Open was being ragged on by the FFT website, or sorry, the French Open website. Leading to some firings. Leading, leading into, yeah, leading to some pink slips yeah. um, from the, the Roland Garros website side. And then um, the shorts. Yeah. I really thought those were the only two things that we'd be talking about. And yet, he goes through five matches, drops one set, blitzes Roger Federer in the quarterfinals. 
uh, Joe Wilfred Sanga handles that perfectly fine. Smartly, as we mentioned before, loses a set and runs out the clock on Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray. Genius. Fucking genius. <laughs> and then he comes through and beats Novak. I mean, that's nuts. Pretty great. Pretty great. It's pretty great. You know who else is pretty great? Serena Williams. Serena Williams, really pretty great. Won her 20th, 20th 2-0 Grand Slam title, major title, we're going to say. If she was counting on her fingers and toes, she better have some extra ones we don't know about because she's out. Got them all covered. 20 slams. She is halfway to a Grand Slam in the calendar here. What were you, and this was the opposite of Stan. This was not like a triumphant, trumpets blaring, heavenly light, you know, divine performance. This was Serena getting like down and dirty and just grinding for this one and really clawing. Not against her toughest draw ever. I mean, no one's going to say that Irani Bachinsky Safarova is the toughest. In actuality, I mean, it was the toughest draw at the outset. Yeah. You know, no, like, no, yeah. theoretically, but like in as it panned out, it wasn't maybe the toughest. Although Azarenka, Azarenka, Stevens, and Bachinsky are not. No, no, no. Easy and Bachinsky played great, and yeah. Safarova played really well too. Um, what will you remember most about Serena's 2015 French Open win? I will remember just how difficult it was. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I, I what my my takeaway from Serena's triumph here in Paris was that. We often say Serena, when she's playing her best, is better than everyone else. Yeah. That is a maxim, basically, in, in WTA tennis. Everybody pretty much buys into this fact. Yeah. What we don't talk about as much is how much better her C level is than everybody else. Her B level. Her ability to kind of play not her best tennis and still win matches, That's which is kind of the flip side of things. Yeah. And... Not to say that she didn't play her best tennis. She played it in patches here in Paris. Scattered patches. Scattered patches, but those patches came when they needed to come. And it was, to me, incredible in a lot of ways. And it's not the same at all because I, I do, well, I don't know. I have to think about this a little bit more, but they're a little bit different. But it did remind me a lot of Maria Sharapova's run last year. Okay. You know, just of, of being up against it and having to find her best tennis. Now, Serena's dip was a lot steeper yeah. than anything. Sharapova just had to battle through and Sharapova ran into four really strong opponents who were playing yeah. great. Yeah. Serena dug a lot of her own holes. Yeah. But still, and Sharapova lost four sets last year. Serena lost five. Yeah, first time yeah. that anybody on the women's side, I think, has lost five sets en route to a title uh, at a major. Um, I believe I saw that stat somewhere. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure I saw it. It's a lot of sets. It's lose. a lot. Of it's sets. a lot. It's pretty much close to the maximum yeah. when you consider that she didn't that she lost one to Annalena Friedson. My yeah. God. Yeah, and uh, you know, so so that is to me what is so impressive. You're talking about a player who is 33 years old. Yep. We can't even, I mean, even though you're tempted to call this like the twilight of her career just because of age-wise or whatever, she rules this tour with her an iron fist. It all is dependent on what Serena does. That it tells you, you know, if she's in a tournament, she's the favorite. If she's not in the tournament, you have a chance. Um, if she's in a tournament, it's how well is she playing? Can she get herself into the quarterfinal, semifinal, final yeah. stages? Um, you know, she is the one that dictates what happens on this tour. And uh, just so impressive. Reels off 10 straight games down a break and a, uh, a set and a break to Bachinsky, down a set and a break to Azarenka. Wins, what, four straight games to close out that second set, and then she won maybe five straight games to close out the, sec- the, the third. 
Um, something about right. Something about that. It was either five when, and four or four and five. It's one of the two. But. Went on a run against Safarova down two yeah. zero in the third after having a big big lead. I mean, this is I think someone was saying it. Then I think that they you know essentially written and rewritten the yeah. women's final so many times because it was first story Serena wins easy. Second story Serena has a hiccup but wins. Third story Safarova wins. <laughs> Fourth story Serena survives ultimately. Yeah. And it was a roller coaster of a match. Let's start with the semi. Okay, we did a show for the quarters. We're up to then. Sure. Uh, Baczynski was up a set. Was up a set in the break. As was Azarenka. Um, Baczynski played so well. So well. So so well. Just made me feel good about my pick because my pick was ridiculous. And I know we talked about <laughs> it before, but I did pick. I did think I did pick Baczynski to the final, mm-hmm, which I was close to getting. She broke for three two, and had a little bit of a letdown game. Um, the next game is Serena Brooke, and then just never look back at all. Yeah. Bichinski was playing so well, just doing all the right things to keep Serena uncomfortable, mixing up her shots so well, hitting the backhand so incredibly well, hitting her forehand much better than usual, well. looking like a player. She's in position, I believe, right now to make Singapore, and I would just love to see her do oh, it. That'd be great. And if she, obviously, I think the odds are against her doing that with her relative lack of experience in terms of sustaining results, but she's going to be in the conversation for it, at least if she does anything on grass. Um, yeah, she's been such a revelation. Her style has been so, so cool. And the idea that was looming of a Bachinsky safarova final was something to, to laugh, giggle at in delirium because would have been something. Would have been something. Uh, yeah, no, Bachinsky, great tournament, obviously. Ivanovic, great tournament, obviously. Hiccup against Safarova. But let's, let's turn the, 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 the mic over to, not over to, but let's talk about Lucy Safarova. Yeah. What a tournament. It was, she was unbelievable. What a tournament. Because, okay, we've seen this happen before where players buzz saw through a draw, bust it wide open. We saw this with Lisicki at, at Wimbledon yeah. a few years ago. We saw this with Stozer here at the French Open a few years ago where she beat um, um, Serena Henin and uh, Yankovic to make her first final. Sibokova? Sibokova is another good example as well. So you've seen this happen. When they get to that final stage, they blink. Yeah. That happened to Stozer against Schiavone. Schiavone obviously won the French Open. That happened, obviously, with Lisicki Bartoli. Oh, yeah. Um, just in tears on court. That's never good. That was the worst Sibolkova, that was an ugly final against Lina. They both played bad. They both played terribly. Um, and Lina just figured out a way to when not play break. as terribly. Yeah. Um, but Safarova... Stepped out on that court. Yes, she lost the first set to Serena. She didn't play bad. First set was pretty good. Serena took the racket out of her hands. When Serena's swinging and every single va- rally is less than four, uh, four, four, four shots, what are you supposed to do? Serena's start was perfect. Perfect. She kept the point short. She was swinging freely. She was firing 120 mile an hour. Aces. I mean, it was. And she clearly wanted to get out of there in a hurry. You could tell that she yeah. was rushing by her standard, trying to keep points really short because she wasn't obviously with her sickness. Um, feeling as well as she might have, and then Safaro, and then she did have a loose service game at four one yeah. after doing her little kangaroo jumps at thirty yeah. love, um, and lets Lucy back in. And Lucy totally sees that moment she when you thought Lucy moment. might That's lay down. How when many you were times? like, "Well, this I hope this final breaks an hour." Yeah, it's only won three sets, yeah. and it was whole free testament to Lucy. Talking about ranking, she is solidly in the top ten now yeah. with this run. Um, she has a Wimbledon semi coming up, so she might dip from that if she doesn't defend that. But it's been an unbelievable 10 month, 12 months from her. For a player who was really known as being a choker, for having the, the weapons and just not ha- and being just so unbelievably tight and in her own mind, 
she let that go. Uh, not not in the semifinal against uh, Ivanovic. Ending of that was kind of ugly at points, even though sure. she got out of it straight. But it was it was tight um, with all the double faults and everything. Lucy Safarova at the French Open. Six tiebreaks played. Six tiebreaks won. That's unbelievable. Lucy Safarova, you guys. That's pretty great. So, I mean, I just, you know, I tip my cap to Lucy Safarova. She doesn't, at her best, she's not going to beat a good a, a good to great Serena Williams. It's just not going to happen. I would say that, too. Like, if I would talk about, like, at this peak level. I'm not sure Safarova's at her best is top ten. If everyone's at their best. Yeah, but But, okay. but just what she's been able to do in terms of being super, super professional, super consistent, Super nice. Super nice. It's been such a popular player on tour. Yeah, there was a great little item in John Wertheim's uh, parting shots uh, post on SI about how, like, all these players were gathered around the TV when she was playing Maria Sharapova, like, openly rooting for her to win, and that it wasn't because they were, like, hoping Maria loses, but it was, like, a genuine, like, wanting someone who's so nice to do good. You know, to have a good result. And so. she's also, and with her coach and everything, and the sort of work she's been doing, clearly and relaxing, she's becoming. You just there's a little more depth to her because I remember at Wimbledon last year when she made the semis, we were like, oh, let's write about Lucy, and there just wasn't a <laughs> whole lot there. Yeah. Like there wasn't. She's just very nice and sweet, but mm. boring on her own. And from a writing perspective, there isn't like the Lucy Safarova story. Yeah. Unless you want to make it about her, the pronunciation of her last name, which I'm not going to try to say on this air. Um, although she said in some video that she's fine with it being Safarova because that's good. <laughs> as she, because like the other one is just not yeah. happening. Uh, yeah. Right, right. Um, but uh, Lucy Safarova does not leave Paris without a championship yeah, trophy. Yeah, she won Bethany. She and Bethany are halfway to the calendar slam. Another one halfway calendar slam. Oh, Novak. Oh, no. it should have been you. Should have been you, bro. Should have been you in there, buddy. Should have been you. But Serena, let's talk. Um, let's talk briefly. We'll talk about Serena going forward. But first, I want to get to the semifinal and the quote theatrics in the words of one oh, journalist okay. who yeah. asked uh, Bachinski about that because Serena did not come to press after that match. Uh, she said she just sort of when she we eventually did hear from her, she said she just sort of you know collapsed out of her illness and she the illness was. The symptoms were very, very visible. Yeah, she was walking around. Said. She was walking around like a zombie between points, just moving very, not, very slowly. And I will say this, just to kind of add to it, you know, during her post-match, uh, post-final press conference, and we did like little round tables with the champions. So we're in a very small room with Serena. She was hacking her way through it. She was trying to like tell, say her answers, and not like you know cough. She was sick, you guys. This was oh, not yeah. faking no. in any way, shape, or form. No, there was absolutely, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that she was feeling badly. The question, I guess, was is if she was, could have been more stoic about it, I that's guess. That's such bullshit. I just I'm don't, sorry. I don't, I don't I just really think that that's like a really yeah. dumb thing. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, people go through things, right? Like, we've seen Novak Djokovic go through mm-hmm. weird physical, physical things. Things are so much weirder than Serena's, too. Well, but it's all the same, it's all coming to, in my opinion, from the same place. I mean, it's not like... No one wants to go out there and act like that, it you know. But in the in the in the, in the moment when you're not feeling well, when you're not handling the pressure well, when you're feeling stress, whatever it is that's happening, it's all happening in one moment, and you react however you react, and mm-hmm. you have that right to do so. And you know, with Serena Williams, I mean, you saw it in the final. I mean, she's basically choking, as she said. Um, in that second set, she's down a break in the third. She absolutely starts laying into herself. She's dropping f bombs left and right. She's Constant like, F-bombs. "I'm fu- I fucking suck." Like blah blah blah. You know this, this, and that. What the fuck are you doing? Take your ass home. Yeah, like all these sorts of things. And guess what? 
It pulled her out of it. Why has there not been a super cut of her cursing yet? I kind of want one. Yeah, fair enough. If you have one, put it together. We'll put it up. Even as audio at work. If yeah, you guys yeah. want to submit it as an audio file, yeah, we'll, we'll take, take it. it. We are an audio program. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Did you think it was over overacting or no, anything? Not really. Sweden? No. Especially because she clearly was looking back. We get, we get you know, the, the raw feeds. We see her backstage, and she's acting that way. All the time, kind yeah. of. I mean, Serena, those of you who are aware of her, is not, you know, a shrinking violet on a level. She's not someone to, you know, yeah, not feel like she has to be bashful about how she's feeling. So if she's feeling like crap, she's going to show it. And it's, it's the sort of honesty she has. And it wasn't hurting Paczynski, Paczynski said at least. And it didn't seem like it was affecting Paczynski either. I think Paczynski was intimidated by the sudden uptick in Serena's level and, you know, vocalizing, maybe even in the late in the second set, but it wasn't about her looking like The Walking Dead before that, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So, um, Serena, going forward, how do you feel about her chances to win the Grand Slam in the calendar? Is this a realistic thing? It's a realistic thing. How can you say it's not a realistic thing, right? I mean, she's about to go into Wimbledon, where she's, what, five-time champion there? Yep. Hasn't played well there the last couple of years. Uh, Has already gone out of her way to uh, deflect um, this idea that she's, like, the favorite at Wimbledon. Like, at the roundtable that we had with her, you know, she was obviously getting lots of questions about Wimbledon, about the calendar slam all these sorts of things, and she finally was just like, I'm not going there, you guys. Like, I'm not talking about it. Like, you guys want to talk about it, that's fine, but, like, I'm, you know, I haven't played well at Wimbledon. Um, you know what, what was an interesting quote from Serena from our roundtable that, that uh, okay. uh, she was asked about Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. She was asked about why she thinks that she's struggled there the last couple of years. And she said, to be honest, I don't really like grass. Which, that was a quote that she gave. Um, we all kept straight faces. Um, because usually when Trina says, to be honest... A huge lie is coming. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when it was in 2012, when I was in Miami, it was before, while well, she was, hadn't won the French in nine years at that point, and it was coming up later, and they were like, so what do you think about it? Obviously it's been tough. She was like, honestly, you know, clay is my favorite surface. And she sort of glares at you, <laughs> looking to see what your reaction is. And yeah, I started laughing because it was so stupid. Uh, and and she, I'm sure she's doing that again. Like, yeah. I don't like grass. No, I mean, like, we, we, I discussed it with a few other Brits. And they were, like, we were saying, well, maybe she, she doesn't like grass, but she loves Wimbledon. Like, maybe we're conflating the two. And it could be very true that, like, I, I mean, even if you're good on grass, like, I can't think that that's a comfortable surface to play on. No. You know, the ball bounces low. She has to get low. It's not a natural surface for her. So I could understand all of that. But um so maybe she's telling the truth. But it was a funny quote. It was one of those like, huh. I think with I'm not Serena, gonna run that, but I think I with Serena sometimes she just says things. For sure. <laughs> to just be she could have been completely delirious. I mean yeah. she really had to go pee before this this round table. TMI Courtney. No, but like, because this is an interesting fact actually. Because the way that the French Open press room is set up, there's uh-huh. a first floor, a second floor, and a third floor. The second floor is where the bulk of the kind of press rooms are, as, at least originally, too. Um, and there is a men's bathroom on that floor, and there is not a women's bathroom sure. on that floor. There's a women's bathroom on the first floor and the third floor. And we all, the women writers, we always 
kind of joke about it because it's a constant reminder that there used to not be women in that press room. The need for having a woman. Yeah, there's only one bathroom period on that floor. There's right. not like two men's bathrooms. Right. Yeah. But like the need to have a woman's bathroom on that second floor was not necessary until, you know, whatever, the 70s and 80s. But anyways, um, yeah, so she and she was sick and she was just I'm sure she just wanted to get press over with. But that was an interesting moment in her press conference. But the other thing um, that, yeah, I mean, she went off and said, you know, I'm rooting for Novak. I, I want somebody else to kind of talk about it. But she also went on to say, look, you know, the monkey's off my back at Wimbledon. I haven't played well there, you know, given how successful I have been there in the past. Lost to Cornet. I lost to Cornet. All these sorts of things. God, that was terrible. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, she's like, you know, that whole Serena thing of like, I'm just trying to do one round better than I did last year. You know, that all of that discussion. It's like, OK, but obviously she's the, she you know, you 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 would think that now that she has the French, the most difficult one for her to win. That she's going to win, you know, Wimbledon, I mean, step by step. But, you know, the only person that I can see challenging her is a Kvitova. Yeah. Or the field again. I mean, obviously draws matter. And field did not come through for me this time. Field didn't field. Fucking <laughs> field. Failed. Field tried. Field did try. Field was up breaks in the third. Field was up breaks in the third and twice up a set in a break. Oh, Never so. came through. So Serena mowed the field, did great. Um, yeah, like like we said, just a really, really gutsy, not easy performance from her. Um Ugly winning, winning ugly. I think sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugly dress, all of it. I like uh, the dress. No, the dress was crap. Everybody's giving a lot of a lot of flack on that dress. I like that dress. What's to like about the dress? It's colorful. I like that there's a you know that leopard print on the skirt. I think it fits her great. She looks great. I I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. The, way the pattern is done. It's like really haphazard and uh, crappy. I like it. Disagree. I, like it. I put and it on my hit list. Good for you, good for her. Yeah. That she. Has either. I like the Australian dress. A oh, lot. that dress is awesome. Right, that right. dress is like the dress of like superheroes. Yeah, no, but it was like the U.S. Open dress with the leopard, and the Australian dress had like a really ugly baby together, and it was this dress. No, oh, I like that. That's it. how I feel about it. Anyway, so that was Serena. Let's talk about the grass, which will involve Serena. She's not playing to Wimbledon. Not going to play warm up. Doesn't look like Sharapova will either um, at this point, which I thought maybe she would take a wild card into Birmingham, and who knows, maybe she still will, but at this point... Jeannie Bouchard playing all of them. Jeannie Bouchard playing singles and doubles in Sertogenbosch, playing doubles with Lesia Serenko. What? <laughs> yeah, you didn't know that. I didn't see that. Yeah, Jeannie's playing doubles with Serenko. <laughs> she just, she wants some, I mean, who else was she going to play with her friends? She's the one who said it, not me. I'm just sitting here quietly in the corner. Yeah, you know. What What are you looking forward to most in the grass season? Because this will be our last show um, until the week before Wimbledon with both of us there. Because I think we're going to do a sort of patchwork special from Hala. We're a little busy. Yeah, like, Corny going to be in Canada. Corny going to be in Canada. Um, I won't leave you guys, don't worry. I mean, I get, I mean it's hard to just out, a, get away from the idea, you know, Serena at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's going to be the big kind of huge strike. Um, so that that's pretty massive to me. The other one for me, Andy Murray at Wimbledon. You know, for as much talk as we 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 have about how really, I mean, you can't say that his partnership with Moresmo hasn't been a success. It's been a success. I mean, he's playing great tennis. He's winning at a clip that um, you know outpaces how much he was winning under Lendl. Um, all these sorts of things. The guy needs majors. He needs to get a major win. He needs to pull um, back ahead of Stan. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, and obviously you you, you kind of like 
uh, what his chances could be at Wimbledon, his, his historically best major. So, um, you know, that, that, that will be a story for me that I'm keeping an eye on. Otherwise, it's a lot of the slumpers. You know, can Bouchard pull it out? Can Dimitrov pull it out? What's going on with Roundich? I just think that there's a lot of different questions. Rafa. Yeah, Rafa, exactly. So I think I guess I'm kind of looking at them, I guess me being a negative Nelly, a little bit Eeyore, looking at the, you know, the, the ones that are kind of struggling right now and seeing if the, if the grass um, can help them a little bit. Less so with Rafa, because I don't think I necessarily expect him to do no. great in Wimbledon. But, you know, for the players who have historically done well on the surface, seeing whether or not they have the ability to kind of turn their seasons around in a way. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm looking towards. You know, obviously, you got Petra, who the F knows, any given Sunday. If she gets herself there, great. She could also crash out in the first round. This is just the reality of Petra Kvitova. Yeah. Um, the one who I'm looking forward to, who you haven't really mentioned, uh, I think, obviously, Serena is going to be the story at Wimbledon yeah. with her going for this calendar slam situation. The one I'm looking for, I think, most on the men's side is probably Roger. I think, in all brutal honesty, this is probably Roger's last real good shot to win a slam. Okay. He's Wimbledon in 2015. Okay. Just because everyone says it's Wimbledon. He's not getting any younger. He came so close last year. Um, I think I think Novak is still the favorite to win this tournament. I think it's business yeah. as usual for Novak. I think this will prove to be largely a hiccup. I don't think it's going to derail him totally. Maybe it will. I don't know. But I don't really expect that. Uh, Roger, it's going to be not a farewell tour at all. But for this year, it's not been great for him. Um, considering his rank, not been great for number two player, let's put it that way, in terms of results at slams, um, it's it's a big shot for him, and uh, pro- probably his last real good one, maybe. People say that all the time, but I think yeah. this is definitely, like, one of the last, for sure. Fair enough. So there's that. Um, also, I'd like to see Pova, can remember how to play on grass, because she used to be good at it, not lately. Um that might not happen. You seem skeptical. Face. I am skeptical. I, I just, when I see her play on grass, you know, over the course of the last few years, she just looks lost out there. She no. looks as lost out there as she used to look on clay. Yeah. The footwork is, is, is not good. She ends up snatching at the ball a lot, uh, doesn't get low enough for it. She's like almost too tall for it, and her strokes don't naturally, you know, get low the way that the Kvitova can. Um, the Kvitova. The, uh, the serve isn't the weapon that it once was, mm-hmm. and it's it. So therefore, it's obviously not the same weapon on grass. Yeah, I just one more slumper. Mm. Ada Ivanska. Yeah. Can this is like her chance to save herself from elimination? And yeah. I'm, you don't feel it. I don't. She's feel top it. seed in Nottingham. She's like the only player entered in there who's like remotely anybody. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. It's, it could be awkward. By the way, Jeannie has a tough draw in Sir Togenbaugh. She's got like... She could put Georgie in the quarters. She's got Georgie quarters before that. She's got Shvedova first round, which is tough on grass. Shvedova's made second week Wimbledon last year golden and once set. before that. Golden Imagine if Jeannie gets golden setted. <laughs> That'd be dark. Uh, yeah. It could, it could be a lot of things uh, happening on the grass, and we'll see. Um... Anything particularly in these two tournaments we're going to have coming up in uh, this this week or in Halla, Queens, or Birmingham to look out for? I guess just as we mm, I mean, look at them. I know that the, the, the you know, Queens is holding, well, as reported by John, Wertheim in his parting shots, that Queens is holding a wild card for Novak Djokovic, although I, at this point I feel like for Novak it, it's almost more important just to maybe take a bit of a break and, 
you know, process what happened here in Paris so that he can put it behind him yeah. to move forward. So I would be surprised to see him there. Um, but no, I mean, do the grass lead-ups really ever tell us anything about what's going to happen in Wimbledon? No, definitely. I don't definitely don't read into losses. And early, like Rafa, I think, has lost early in Queens and then gone on to win um, Wimbledon that same okay. year and things like that. And Fetters wins Hala, Hala all the time, doesn't win Wimbledon as much all the time anymore. I think well, yeah, he won Hala and then lost to Sikovsky second round. So you don't necessarily read into either way. Uh, but it can show you if somebody comes out of nowhere playing really well. Like Dimitrov won Queens last year, and it showed with a semifinal Wimbledon. And speaking of somebody slumping, Dimitrov, yeah, needs it needs the grass in a big way points-wise. Um, and we'll see. It, it's uh, going to be a quieter couple weeks, I think. People will, except for the British press, is going to be going nuts with the Queens, obviously. They love that tournament. Two more night names to just throw in the bucket to okay. keep an eye on on grass. Okay. Madison Keys and Sloane Stevens. Oh, yeah. But very much true. Very, very, very important section of time for... Especially Madison. For Madison, and also for Sloane, given how well she played here in Paris and how positive she was, and I think coming out of it, how well she competed against Serena. All right, you did it at a major. That's not a shock. We've seen you do it at a major. Now bring it in week in, week out. She's not playing this week, is she? I don't no, think, I don't, no, I don't but. think so, but at some point, we were just talking about grass, so... Yeah. And Jack Sock also had a great week here. Jack Sock, yeah. See if he can back that up on grass. I'm not sure he has done well on grass before. I think he lost to Dimitrov first round, maybe, last year. Or that was Harrison. Harrison lost to Dimitrov first round. Anyway, we'll see what Sock does, because he's had a great, great French Open. If he can back that up. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode. Uh, and as we switch from clay to grass, at that Battle of the Surfaces match thing uh with both pairs of shoes ready for it uh if you want to follow us when you're not listening whatever shoes you're wearing or barefoot we're happy to have that too um you can follow us on facebook by liking us facebook.com slash ncr podcast you can also follow us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis and you can follow us individually courtney is at 40 deuce twits keep up with all of her road trip tweeting through the women's world cup Ivory Coast not doing big things against Germany, etc. All the stuff you need to know and a whole lot more about women's soccer. You'll get there. I'm Ben Rothenberg. I will be tweeting not Pictures of waffles in Belgium. Yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah. I'm excited. No no crepes. I think everyone wanted like a payoff crepe tweet of me. And if there was a crepe readily available, I totally would have done it. You guys, there just wasn't. <laughs> so sorry for that. Um, not sorry for the crepe jokes, though, even if I am sorry that, not sorry that I lost like, you know, a bunch of followers. People being like, this was the last straw. Like, I put up with a lot of you guys. <laughs> and I could not do the eighth crepe joke in a row. I love that somehow the Eurovision didn't drive people away, but crepes did. I put people through a lot. Yeah, you do. You I ask a lot of people. I ask a lot. I ask a lot. Um, but I feel like I give a lot too. Sure. You know. Sure. Uh, but cuts both ways. Um, and you can also subscribe to our show on iTunes and whatever your podcast app of choice is. Leave us reviews on iTunes. That's pretty super. Tell your friends, etc. We don't say that, but you know, why not tell your friends? Because it's just a nice thing to do. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, we'll start with the rant rave. Courtney, what are you ranty, ravey about as we say au revoir to Paris? As we say au revoir to Paris. I'm not going to really rant or rave about Paris, although I will say that, generally speaking, my two weeks here in Paris have been the best two weeks that I've had in Paris. Aww. So that's been quite good. Just, I don't know if I'm changing. I don't know if Paris is changing. I don't know if we're meeting in the middle. 
Uh, maybe I'm growing soft in my old age. I don't know what it is. But either way, um, it was a, a much more enjoyable experience this, this two weeks than it has been in the past. But my rave is going to be for, shocker, a podcast. Um, and it's a podcast I listen to a lot, but in the wake of recent week's events, it has been just knocking it out of the park. But the Men in Blazers podcast, it's also a show uh, hosted by these two guys on Fox Sports uh, about football, about soccer. Um, it's a weekly half-hour show, and they're very, very funny. They're these two British guys who now live in the States who kind of, like, mockingly love America. Like, they're just all about America. If you follow them on Twitter during all the FIFA stuff, it was amazing just, like, how, like, America they were. But um, they're just their podcast is just so funny. It's been really, really great in the wake of all the FIFA stuff. If you want an episode to specifically download, download the one that is, and we'll include a link to it, but download the one that is specifically about the FIFA indictments. Um, it's just incredibly funny uh, because they are taking such joy in what is happening to Seth Blatter. And as is everyone, I yeah, feel like. No, the world, yeah. especially as Americans, I feel like a sort of ownership of the situation. Yeah. Or not ownership, just pride. Get, yeah. to, get to ride Loretta's coattails. Yeah, no, it's great. So there you go. As you guys know, I don't really love soccer too much. I wouldn't say love, but I tolerate it. I recognize that it is a sport, right? <laughs> I do. I don't feel the same way about the other thing that happened this weekend in the U.S., which thankfully I was here for and didn't have to really pay attention to. Stupid Triple Crown with a stupid horse winning the Triple Crown, unbeknownst to it, because the horse I don't know what Triple Crown is. And, like, the, all the media having these, this, like, typing prose diarrhea for the next, like, month about it. Horse racing is the most just awful... Anything horse in sports is terrible. They should immediately get struck in the Olympics. The game of horse is quite fun in basketball. Oh, that's great. Not as good as knockout, It is the though. best horse. Knockout's better. I'm just saying. Basketball horse, best horse. Best horse, I agree. Horse racing is ridiculous, especially when they make the horses jump over shit. That's not racing, I know, but like, they're just asking for the horse to kill itself. Because like, even at Belmont, this weekend, they had to put some other horse down in some preliminary race, because they're always killing the horses. And then when they retire, they get sold into a life of, like, sex working and they're like just bred on command and it's gross too and they're like oh the horse you're so happy you're out to pasture it's like no the horse is like a sex slave in its own way and being forced to reproduce because it's special and they use the fucking word special all the time this horse is like oh this horse won again it's a very special horse it's a very special moment this very special horse won the triple crown first of all this is more about the other horses being chokers. There's no reason that 12 previous horses should have won the first two legs and not come through in the end. That's pathetic. And this one horse does this one year, and it's suddenly special because what? Because the other horses this year weren't as good? We don't know. It's just the stupidest metric. It's the stupidest rich white people, like, money-burning activity, and I guess some wealthy Arab sultans are in it too now. It's just not good. It's Everything about it is terrible. Horse racing is bad. Having people standing on horses, whipping them with sticks to get them to go faster. Having people cheer in stupid hats. All of it's bad. Not a sport. I'm really worried. I tweeted about this today. I'm really worried that this fucking horse is going to be the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, like Secretariat, and it's going to... All these great humans, like Serena, I, I think Steph Curry has a good shot of beating this horse. So one of those two better win one for humanity. Yeah. The That'd human race against the horses. That'd be good. The whole thing, like, horses are not athletes. They are horses. They don't know what they're doing. They're horses, not people. Let's enjoy people. Like, honestly, watch some soccer. 
That's just how dark it gets for me. Like, I will watch wow. anything. Like, we watched... I watched handball. I've watched, like, that field hockey thing when we were in... Would you watch a velodrome? Over horse racing? Oh, that's, like, making... That's, like, the most subhuman thing you can do, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would. At least because there's, like, this weird, like... like it's kind Nietzschean, of more too. Like, existential thing about watching humans just sprint in circles. And also, Which there's is this different than where they do like a stopping thing. It's like, I'm going to stop cycling too. Yeah. Let's do a race where we both go really slow. <laughs> uh, Britain, yeah, it's just all of it's terrible, but I would rather watch that than horses because it is it's bad for everybody. It is really weird because I just find it odd that, you know, internet, people on the internet, I thought we really loved like cute pictures of corgis and dogs and cats because animals are adorable and great and yet the amount of just goo all over my twitter timeline when this horse did whatever the hell it did i don't even understand it won three races yeah that's so much a thing that's so much less tough than what serena has done we didn't mention before she's going for a serena slam wimbledon too she's won 21 straight matches at a grandstand level she's won the last three majors yeah, this there's one. a triple crown. All right, and she's going to Mexico for a tri- quadruple crown. Yeah, and like this horse, just oh, shut up with the horse. Pharaoh is spelled wrong. All of it's just yeah, stupid. Just and they're like, let's root for the owners. Like, I don't care about you millionaires who spent all this money on a horse. It's a very you gave nothing to the world. It's the most selfish pursuit you could possibly have is yeah. having a fucking race horse. It's a very weird thing. Ugh. Like every, I just, I do wish that people would just stop and take a step back, and. Realize what the heck they're doing. Stop and smell the manure, people. It's just, it, it's, you, uh, I can't, it's really I can't. Bad. And like the writing about it, I tried reading like one article about it, and it's just like. You can drink all the mint juleps you want. If that's what you need to, to find horse racing entertaining, then maybe there's a problem. If it's an excuse to stand outside and drink, which I like, I know people who used to have the Preakness in Maryland, uh, like the infield, who just get really, really drunk, and a lot of people get in fights, and other people watch but and I stuff. I don't understand like, the idea like of needing an excuse to drink. Right? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not even making, like, an alcoholic joke right now. Like, I that's, just like, that's, get... that's such a great epitaph. According to Wynn, I don't understand the need for an excuse to drink. Oh, but so I, good. Like, like, drinking games? Whenever my friends would play drinking games, I'd be like, why? I'm just going to drink. <laughs> like, I don't need to put a ping pong ball into a cup in order to force... If you don't want to drink, don't drink. If I want to drink, I will drink. If you put a ping pong ball into my cup... And I don't want to drink. I'm not going to drink. So, like, I don't get a flip. You can send to the drinking by stepping to the table, in fairness. Yeah, but I'm just I hope saying. people aren't getting forced beer pounds. No, I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know what kids do these I days. I don't know. I don't know what happens in the basements of these fraternities. Yeah, not great, but better than horse racing because it involves humans. And with that, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. disappointment.